Hi, my name is Kenny Innes and I'm the host of Theodisc, the WTC podcast where we discuss all things theological in an accessible way that will hopefully stimulate you to pursue your own theological learning and ultimately to deepen your faith. Our guest in this episode is Dr. Lucy Pepiot. Lucy holds a PhD in Systematic Theology from Otago University and has been the principal of WTC since 2013, where her teaching focus is in both systematic theology and spiritual formation. This episode is actually a continuation of a conversation we began in our last episode around Lucy's latest book, The Imago Day. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, go and do that now and then come back to this one. In this conversation, We talk through different models of thought concerning the doctrine of the Imago Dei and how our understanding of the doctrine can have transformative potential for the way that we live practically. I hope you enjoy it. Lucy, in our last episode we spoke together, we began talking about the Imago Dei, both your book that you've written that's just <laughs> come out and also this the, the wider sense of the doctrine and how important it is for us to understand it and um we spoke as, as well a little bit about how wide-ranging the doctrine is and i, th- I think we kind of uh, got that sense we were talking last time that the directions that we can go in with this conversation and the implications that it has for all of human life and for our our faith um mm. as christians and so This week, I thought what we would do would be maybe in your book, you kind of walk us through the history of thought about the Imago Dei, how the the church and thinkers have imagined and thought about the doctrine. And maybe we can talk through a little bit about each stage and how that has developed. And then maybe we can work towards this idea of how we now in our time can think clearly and practically um, Mm -hmm. about, about the doctrine. That all right? Yeah, sounds great. Brilliant. Okay. So maybe we can kind of go back to some of the early church, early thinkers about this doctrine. And you've called this the substantialist or the noetic perspectives. Mm -hmm. So for those of us who haven't researched and written the 45,000 word book, (laughs) give us an overview of what those terms mean. I started with this idea that um, there was something, there was almost a substance within human beings that is identifiable as the godlike bit, if you like. It sounds a bit crude, but um, and so the the that's where you get the idea substantialist. Noetic means of the mind. So, and I'll come on to that. Um, and sometimes it's called the ontological perspective. So I started with this because historically, that's where the early thinkers of the church sort of landed in their thinking about humanity and likeness of God. Um, they made a lot of the distinction between humanity and animals. So it was they they were sort of looking for attributes of human beings that that distinguish them from animals. And this is an interesting sort of historic um, development because really very recently, I think people have begun to have a different perspective of the difference between human beings and 
and animals, haven't they? Non-anthropic yeah. creatures. As we discover more about animals, um, that actually about their intelligence and the way they communicate and the way they organize their lives and their lives together and things like that. So, um, but, but, you know, 2000 years ago, they had a very different view of animals. They didn't have the, the, the methods that we have to determine things. Um, and so they would think of things like language and um, memory and loving relation and um understanding and will and and various things that obviously make us human and say well you know god has all those things so maybe these are the things about us that are godlike um and so the substantialist view really was quite dominant among ancient thinkers um and it led to the idea i think that that people and also they privileged the what we would perhaps think of as the mind or the rational processes of the human being um, to say, well, you know, human beings are rational. Uh, they think and they deliberate and they choose and animals are instinctual, you know, and they just do things out of instinct. And um, and so there's the difference. And that, but but really it was a bit, it was more sophisticated in that, what they understood as the rational element or aspect of human being was the psyche, the soul. So it wasn't just the mind. It was to do with the mind because the mind was seen to be the higher element of the human being. And the, the carnal aspects of human being were where your sort of desires and your lust and everything was in the low, your sort of base parts of your being. And then the, the, the where you could contemplate the divine was through the soul and the mind and so the soul became the 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 place where it was deemed that the image lay and um and that actually persisted for many centuries this idea that the soul is where the image of god is and calvin even says that at one point um and it obviously led to uh, this idea that the body didn't matter very much, although that not all early thinkers thought like that. And I bring this out in my book, looking at Gregory of Nyssa and Irenaeus. Um, but I think when you look at the trajectory of Christian thought about the image of God, I do think that we tend towards what I would call do docetism or a sort of docetic bent where you you're more divine than human you know you you make it's like whenever we become more divine we become more like god but actually the things that are very human about us are then seem to be not so much like god but actually god made humans in his image and likeness so i think that drives us back into well what is it about a human that is like god um so uh, yeah, so I start there and I look at a number of thinkers. Uh, it was so hard, you know, to make hmm. decisions about who to include and who not. Yeah. Um, and so I, I touch on Irenaeus, Athanasius, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine before that, uh, then Thomas Aquinas, and um, look at some of those ancient views and how and why they thought like they did. And we spoke a little bit last week about this this idea of the image and the likeness. Um, yes. Could those be two separate terms? And I think that that kind of seemed to to stem from some of these early thinkers. Um, mm. 
but I was intrigued about this idea of um, those two terms in relation to the idea of movement towards mm -hmm. God, that the term mm -hmm. image of God mean, being a movement towards God likeness. Yes, yes. So um, Irenaeus and Aquinas both have these uh, use slightly different prepositions um, to talk about. So rather than saying being made in the image, um, they would talk about being made uh, to the image. Oh, well, uh, sorry. So Irenaeus talks about um, being made after the image of God and Aquinas talks about, chooses the preposition to the image of God. And I, I think that's fascinating because it, it, it does put a different nuance on it doesn't it in, rather being made in the image if you're made after the image or mm. to the image it's this sense of sort of development um and i i love al mcfadden's work he's a contemporary theologian uh and he sort of picks up this idea um and talks about the image of god as a verb to image god and what does it mean to image God uh, and how does that change our understanding of the doctrine and I, I found that all those ideas very stimulating and interesting and and can take us down new avenues I think. Yeah what seems to come out of a lot of the early thought is it, it, it kind of fundamentally this inherent worth of human beings mm -hmm. um, and that, that that's kind of what what comes out of, of their thinking. Yes I, I would definitely say that and i think that we'll come on to this i i think you're we're going to talk about um a functional view of the imago day but sometimes functionalists or people who have a vocational view of the imago day um i think somehow have sometimes have misunderstood the ontological view or the substantialist view and said that it you know it's very abstract and conceptual and greek um but actually i i don't think it is i think it's it, it was people trying to to identify something enduring about the human being um and the makeup of the human being that was like god and was made for god and was a good fit for god and that that's how i understand it and so i yeah so i think it's it's good it, there's a lot that's good in it and it's obviously been uh, uh probably would you say a, a dominant idea even now still still persists as a, as a dominant idea in Christian thought? Uh, yes, I, I definitely think so. Although it's interesting, there's been a definite sort of resurgence, maybe, or surge, I don't know, of the idea of the vocational view of the image is very strong now. Um, and has it comes out in all sorts of different places, it's been really developed by Richard Middleton, Sandy Richter, um, it comes. It, it it pervades all of the Bible Project theology. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's strong, powerful stuff coming out about the the image as a vocation. And we'll, we'll move on to that. So we have, have this idea of the substantialist view, the noetic view being um, something that is um, located, for want of a better term, mm -hmm. in kind of the rational. So I think we we think we hear rational. And we think immediately about logic and yeah. thought, but there's something greater than that, you know, in their thought. And there's something about us being made in the image of God makes human beings inherently 
worthwhile. I find your distinction we were talking earlier about between animals and, and humans. Cause I think my cat sometimes thinks that he's a god, um, or at, le <laughs> at least god godlike. Um, so I do, maybe that's the <laughs> topic, a topic for another conversation. Yeah. Well, um, Gregory of Nyssa thought that animals had souls, but it's of a lower order. Yes. To human beings, but you know, I think all of us pet owners are quite amenable to something like that idea. <laughs> So, and then you touched on then maybe a development on from there is maybe an idea that maybe that that thinking could be either maybe a bit abstract or, or at least static in that sense and this moving on to what you call the functional or the vocational um perspective missional is another another term that you use so maybe yes. we can talk about that and i think this would be interesting for those of us who are in kind of charismatic evangelical churches to maybe l look at how um, dominant this view is in our thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, so this is um, the idea really taken from the text of Genesis 1 and 2. And, and I do understand the critique of substantialist views from people who hold this view very strongly, uh, because I think the text is leading you into this idea that human beings are made by God for a particular purpose, and that is to rule and reign over the earth and the animals and the fishes of the sea and the, you know, and and the plants and are given the earth to steward and to work and to care for, um, and they are given a command to be fruitful and to multiply, uh, and it, there's it, it's too sort of complex to go into it all now in our short podcast. But and and people familiar with the Bible Project's work will be familiar with this idea of human beings as a royal priesthood, and that the creation stories tell us the story of the of the making, really, of the creation as a temple or a sanctuary in which God dwells and places His image, or His representative, His vice regent. Um, and as I said, Richard Middleton has written about this at length in his book, The Liberating Image. Um, and so, and, and there are different versions of this uh, vocational view. So you have an idea of human beings as a royal priesthood, um, human beings as priests. Sometimes there are, there are people who only focus particularly on this idea of, of the priest. Um, and stewards of creation, that's Sandy Richter, does work on that, Richard Borkham. Um, so these are all kind of modern scholars who are on, on developing this idea, and it's very fruitful. It, it, it has this um, strong thread of the idea that human beings can cooperate with God in in sort of bringing in his kingdom on earth you know it's about it's very here and now mm. um it has as i said it, it all all image of god theologies uh have ethical implications um and this so, so the ontological ones do um about reflecting the image of god uh in virtues um and so love faith charity hope um, and moral virtues, and and the this vocational one does as well in terms of enacting a Christ-like function on the earth, 
Um, and so it's read, it's read through Genesis, but also then reread back through the New Testament. So the image is lived out under God's overall rule and reign. Um, and human beings are called to be representatives of God on earth, but in their in their Christ likeness. So Jesus Christ becomes the archetypal image, and so the way that He rules is the way that human beings are called to rule. So that's interesting because it, you know, there are very dominant. There's dominant language here of ruling and reigning. Um, which kind of goes against the grain for many people, understandably, uh, you know, uh, that it's hubristic, it's full of pride and, you know, that we are made for this and we're better than everyone else kind of thing. Um, but then when you look at the way that Jesus inhabited the image on earth, he, he says, you know, I, I didn't come um, to be served but to serve and and at the end of luke's gospel he has this amazing luke 22 is amazing um commission to his disciples not to be to be ones who serve at the table rather than be served um and so yeah so the the sort of the filling out of the ruling and reigning um actually is subverts perhaps expectations of rule as dominant dominance yeah yeah and i think if we if we think about you know a lot of that language might be familiar this idea of ruling and reigning and taking dominion um mm. and obviously that could be carried in in um in all kind of different directions and i think sometimes that the perception that's given um or that we we sometimes understand is it's about taking over mm -hmm. um so this kind of we're, we're prone to the top down idea yeah. and and this this appeals to us so i guess yeah. if there's if there's a critique it might be yes it can lead into that direction but like you say jesus as usual is our corrective um mm -hmm. to some of that and uh, I, I like the idea of dominion um being about service and uh, yes. although uh, your point about um taking over i mean that's really interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> language because you know when you look at mission evangelism you know the advancement of the kingdom i mean it's hard to it's hard to evade isn't it the yes, I, yes. the idea of the go go and make disciples of all nations um teaching them to obey what i've taught you and baptizing them in the name of the father and son and the holy spirit so um there is definitely this sense of the kingdom as the you know the dough that grows and um and the seeds that are sown and bear fruit and um yeah so so uh and the tree that grows large so i i think that um i i don't think we can escape all that language and uh, i think that's a challenge for for all of us in different ways about what does it mean how do we live it out how is that how is that lived out humbly and 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 with gentleness and um and uh, uh, respect of others yeah oh man you messed up my i thought that was a really great critique that i was making and you just <laughs> brought me back to a middle ground there no 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 bring no bring it go on what's <laughs> no no i just i i think you know again in the book as well you talk about kind of the, the centrality of of shalom and we don't have too long to kind mm. of dig into that but i think there maybe is the sense of peace as being for the well-being 
you know, of of, uh-huh. of the earth and God's best. And mm-hmm. maybe at the heart of all of this is this idea of the partnership is more than just doing stuff on God's behalf, but yeah. um, but living out these principles with God in a way that's for the benefit of of the world. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the issues I think I have with this as the only perspective on the image is that it's all it's very much about um, activity. You know, the co-workers of God and and like we all have a job and um, and I find myself just wondering about that and about what happens to those of us who have periods or maybe lives of that that don't look like that that are lives of it's put p- or you know ostensibly inactivity if mm-hmm. you know what i mean um and and this is where i think things like ill health and you know being taken out in some way of of being an active member what where is one's place then you know and so i think that needs thought and and theologizing and reflection and this comes back to our idea what you talked about last week about the the value the inherent value of human Mm. beings and i would be nervous i think of placing all that value in something that we do um or that we or, or that we have to do because we are given this vocation um so that's another point of view and then um one that you move on to talking about is the relational model mm-hmm. which um seems to have this kind of root in the renaissance um reformation period mm-hmm. so yeah sketch that for us well it's i, I mean the relational model obviously comes from the scriptures like the other yeah. like the other models do but yes i, I well i identify it as having come to the fore um really around the reformation and and following on from and in an era of history where the the human being especially the european male was really came into a very powerful position in the world and um colonialism was spreading there were there were european wars and um so I think men particularly who had this very strong sense of being empowered, individualism really took a root in European thought. Um, and so the relation, and, and, and then there was this deep questioning and critique of the Roman Catholic Church that came from the reformers, bringing thought back to the, to the centrality of Christ and the, the sinner's personal salvation in christ you know so whereas um there would be this idea stemming back from the from the patristic thought that there is no salvation outside the church um as cyprian would have said and 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 irenaeus you know i mean everyone saw the centrality of the church but then that was taken in a particular direction by the roman catholics and then in certain centuries totally corrupted um, and the reformers protested against the sale of indulgences, you know, that you need a priest and you need the church in order to be saved of your sin and, and to receive forgiveness. And um, and so the idea of, that we have 
as Protestants, I'm saying you and me, not we as the, yeah. <laughs> assuming that everyone listening is a Protestant, that, that, that Protestants have, let's say, uh, um, we, we lent into this idea of me and Jesus, you know, and the relationship of me and Jesus, and it's the relationship of me and Jesus that, that saves me, and it's what I work on, and it's how God relates to me, and 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 that has some deep roots in Reformation thinking. Um, and so the relational idea of the image is that the image is restored in Christ. So whereas, and the reformers had a very, really a very pessimistic view of the fall of humanity, that the image was pretty much lost, many of them would have claimed. Um, but that was really a corollary to them then claiming that it was fully restored in Christ and only in Christ. You know, you don't need anything. It's the all sufficiency of Jesus Christ to restore that image in you and he can do it fully and perfectly. So it's, it's bleak on the one hand and then full of hope on the other um, and nothing to do with us. You know, we we cannot make this image any. We can't shine it up, you know, and and take away that tarnish and and make ourselves look a little better. Um. So so yeah, lots of different thinking about the image, and I touch on the difference between some Roman Catholic and Eastern and Protestant thoughts. Um. But this relational idea, obviously, it's very appealing to a modern perspective, a modern mindset. Um, that we are made for relationship with God, that God restores that relationship in us. Um, and But I wanted to bring it back a little bit more into the whole community and ecclesial perspective that this relation, once we're in this relationship, of course, we it's a new family. And um, there is, you know, we have brothers and sisters, whether we like them or not. <laughs> we're, called, yeah. we're called to love them, you know. Um, because we share a heavenly father and uh, um, that's who we are and we're co-heirs with Christ. So anyway, uh, yeah, so that's my third chapter is looking at. And one of the outworkings of that thinking, of course, is this idea that um, holiness is um, some kind of evidence of of the image of God being restored. And I think what's interesting, just what you've said there, it's not just holiness as in personal piety, but Mm. in the way that we live out our relationships with one another in in Mm. community is important Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um as i was thinking through this i i thought about michelangelo's you know sistine chapel and the, the famous central image there of god reaching out and touching adam it's intriguing that that's a a, a white male mm. god reaching out to a white male adam um who's rippling totally ripped you know <laughs> and I, I, I and i think okay you know um that i think at least in our western european mindset this idea of the image of god is is informed as well by a lot of this imagery but a lot mm. of modern perspectives on the image of god i think act as a somewhat as a corrective um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a critique of some of those wayward thinkings about the image and maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the the modern perspectives that are that are ongoing at the moment yes so i look i do have a couple of chapters on modern perspectives 
and their critiques of ancient perspectives or, or embedded perspectives, perhaps mm. I should say. Um, and I think that that's, I, I think that's where it gets so exciting, really, to do theology, to be a theologian, is is that the the church is always responding to cultural shifts and changes, and um, the way in which culture really challenges Christian thinking, um, not to remain static, as it were, and then testing what we claim to be our truths you know we're, we're constantly each generation is called um to test those and weigh those and to work out how are we communicating those in the best way and are there th other things that we've sort of drifted off into a distortion of the truth and um so one of the things i touch on is just this idea of the the white european male centeredness of the image and how that kind of really got a grip and how that needs to be unsettled and challenged um by obviously feminist thought and then black lives matter was i mean and people before that had been doing wonderful and and challenging black theology and asian theology and um, you know, lots of different perspectives in Latin theology. But, um, but yeah, I think it sort of helped to bring it to the fore a bit about ideas that we have just perhaps lazily accepted, things that we haven't challenged in ourselves. And, you know, what do we think about where the image of God is, who, who best exemplifies this image? Um, and why and um, so yeah so I touch on on those things and that's where I started when we met in the first week talking about the challenge of disability theology to ideas of physical perfection whatever that what does that mean what does it look like you know have we have we just tied ourselves to, as you said to some kind of cultural idea of what we think is perfect and then mapped that or projected that onto the image um so yes there's lots of different ways of of thinking through the image of god that challenges one particular perspective i thought about Henri newen's book adam um when he speaks about mm -hmm. his friend who's paraplegic and non-verbal and um the influence that his friend adam interestingly mm. um yeah. had had on him um in reflecting the love and the nature of god to mm. new himself and <clears throat> i think that's um i think it's interesting that we we began this conversation last week talking about kind of the what seems to be almost the elasticity or the difficulty and sometimes in nailing this doctrine down mm. but maybe the beauty mm. of it and god giving us kind of the openness in the scriptures is that actually it's um we can bring it to bear on mm. um, each cultural moment and speak the, the truth of God and the value of human beings um, um, right where we're at. And I, I think maybe that's uh, an interesting note to to finish on, this idea of how do we then take um, the ideas that you've spoken about in your book? And, and really, you, you confess in the book at the beginning that there are a lot, a lot of questions that come mm. out um, from your writing um through it and maybe some of those questions are things that the answers to those questions are things that we work out in the places where we live and work mm -hmm. what would be maybe some of your thoughts about how do we apply this and to our lives and the people around us 
Yes, so I wrote, um, the, the book is really designed to, I, I hope, to um, provoke questions and to give people a way in to exploring their own uh, research, uh, to exploring avenues of research that they're interested in and hopefully give a bit of a bibliography for that. Um, and rather than give, you know, I mean, as I say in the beginning, to write a proper volume on this would be multi-volumed and multi-authored. Um, and so I would say to explore questions about what it means to be made in the image of God, definitely in groups, you know, in communities, our own communities. Um, and to, I think, explore the challenge of how we understand others as made in God's image is that this was something I think I've been left with. And I finish on um, just the whole concept of the idea of the human being as an inherently glorious creature and one that is made for glory um, and what that means. And so what it means for that to be in the other um, and in the person who isn't me. So, so, and what it means to be in me, obviously, but um, but in the person who isn't me and how that shapes my thinking and actions towards that person. Um, and and I, uh, yeah, I, I, I find that challenge. I'm challenged by the scriptures. I'm challenged by Jesus's treatment of others and, and the sort of potential that people have but that is so often stunted because of their environment, the way that they've been treated, the way that other people have dealt with them in their lives and the damage that that has done. And I think that the scripture, you know, scripture speaks, whatever it means to be made in the image of God, it mean, it's speaking to that. It's speaking to the, um, the, the demonic and destructive and... Um, horrific you know unbearable atrocity of damaging another human being that that is a horrific thing to do and um those who do it need to encounter uh god's no to that you know and and why he says no because and and um and we're all i mean i we're all guilty we're all prone to treating others badly. And so I, I find that deeply convicting for myself. And um, and I think the doctrine of the Imago Dei is, a, you know, is an amazing um, doctrine for the world, really. Yep. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk us through that. Um, I thank would you. recommend people pick up um, your book um, and have a read. and. Again, like we said earlier, it really is kind of a thought provoker um, to kind of inspire us onto thinking about how do we how do we work these things out in our own lives um, in the places we work and that we worship and that we live and um, asking that question of each person that we, we come into contact with, um, you know, or at least having that thought in the back of our head that this is mm -hmm. someone who is made in the image of God and is inherently, mm -hmm. inherently valuable and whom he desires um a partnership and a relationship with i'm sure you will come back um on other episodes in so. the future <laughs> <laughs> yes you've proven yourself to be thought-provoking and interesting Thanks. really 
really thank you for for taking time to be with us and um yeah we will speak again soon i am sure great pleasure thanks so much kenny thanks bye well wasn't that just a brilliant conversation between kenny and lucy i thoroughly enjoyed every second and could listen to theo disc all day in our next episode Kenny will be chatting with Dr. Freddie Headley, Dean of Undergraduate Studies at WTC, about how the Book of Lamentations can be extremely helpful for us as we seek genuine intimacy with God. The Theodisc podcast is part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programs without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk. If you have enjoyed the first two episodes of Theodisc or have any comments or feedback, why not send us an email at podcast at wtctheology.org.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts as we get our podcast going. Thank you for listening to Theodisc. Join us next time when Kenny and Freddie talk lamentations. Bye for now. Bye.